Brilliant. Thanks, Shagan. It's, um, it's really great to be here. As Shagan says, I'm one of the elders at Ascot Life Church, part of Guy's um, team. And um, I'm usually one of those, guy, those people that Tim was talking about at the last few minutes of his message that isn't ever in the adult meetings. Um, so I have the privilege of looking after our young people uh, at West Point. They are fantastic. We're having great fun already with them. Uh, I'm a husband to M. M is, um, we've been married for 18 years. I've got two boys, Zachary and Joseph, who are eight and 10. Uh, and um, they keep us busy. Uh, so it's uh, great to be here. And so as Shaken said, this morning we're going to look at this whole thing uh, uh, around it really is a great commission. We talk about the great commission as if it's something we have to do. Um, but I'd love us to leave this morning Rather than thinking it's something we have to do, it's something that we get to do and are excited about. Um, and it really is great. Um, not in vastness, but in wonder and amazement and, and goodness for us. Um, and it really, I, I love being part of this little part of God's kingdom in commission. As Guy calls it, one ship in God's great armada. And seeing what he's called us to be as a family of churches, as a people called to be part of his kingdom, to serve his kingdom, and excited by what he has called us to. But the context is really important as we start today. If you've been around commission for any time at all, or even looked at the, the website, you will have heard our vision statement. That what we believe God has called us to. You've probably It's probably more than likely that you've heard it mentioned multiple times this weekend already, seen it in um, magazines or adverts, um, and that is to see thousands of lives transformed through hundreds of churches in tens of nations. Now, it all sounds very grand. For some people, it's really exciting. For others, it's daunting. For others, it's just a pithy vision statement. And, and I've had people say even, it's a bit business-like, isn't it, Dave, just having this pithy vision statement. So what's it really about? And that's what I want us to get to this morning. What does it mean to see thousands of lives transformed in hundreds of churches in tens of nations in line with the Great Commission? And I'd love us to be stirred again by the mission of God, his great commission to his church to go and make disciples of all nations. And what we're looking at as churches is not a new concept. Us to understand this. this isn't new. This isn't something that guys come up with two years ago. This is something that has its foundation from creation. And it goes throughout the Bible and church history right through to today and will continue until Jesus returns. And it's something that Jesus calls us to join with him on this adventure until he comes back. You see, God's plan has always been the same. It's always been the same, to have a people amongst whom he could dwell and who would worship and glorify him. I remember, as a, as a church leader, every year in September, we have our Vision Sunday. And for a long time, every year, I was like, God, what's the vision for the church this year? Please, I need a new vision. We need a new vision for the church. And one year, about four years ago, I felt God speak to me and say, Dave, chill out. The vision hasn't changed. Don't have to come up with a new one. Just do what I've called you to do as my people. And so God's plan has always been the same. So 
let's look at this wonderful mission story throughout the Bible. And, and then we'll look at the end about how our vision as thousands, hundreds and tens fits into that and what our story might look like as we seek to pay, play, take, take part in God's great mission for this world. So let me pray and um, we'll really get, get going. Father, we thank you for the privilege it is to be here. We thank you for this family. We thank you you've caught us up in your purposes. Thank you that we all come from such different backgrounds and places, but you bring us together and you build us together and use us together. So would you speak to us? Would you excite our hearts this morning? And may we leave just having a greater glimpse of your calling for us as your people, as part of your kingdom. Amen. Amen. And this summer, um, I've, I had um, a sabbatical, just um, 12 weeks, just to rest and um, refresh. And one of the things I did during this time was to would read the Bible. <laughs> I think, oh, you should be reading the Bible all the time, Dave. I do read the Bible all the time. But I got hold of one of these Bibles that takes out all the verse numbers and chapter numbers and all the headings that other people put in, um, in more recent history. And so I read the book as a book rather than as a study guide or a devotional. So most of us would tend to read it as a, maybe a daily devotional or you hear it um, preached so the, the person preparing would read it to study and, and prepare a message. I read it as a book, a bit like I would have read Lord of the Rings. Um, it was amazing. It, I'd really encourage you, if, if you have time to get one, get one of these reader Bibles where, you, where it takes all the chapters and verses out and headings out and read it like a book. It's amazing to see God's story, the big picture of his plan for the world, in a different way. In a way that's really easy to engage with, really easy to understand. And so it really excited me just zooming out and reading God's story, his story, history throughout and seeing it come alive in a new way. And the other thing I did over the summer was cycle across the Pyrenees. Um, on a road bike, I did a charity ride, and it was amazing. And one of the things that really God really spoke to me about during this time was when we reached the top of a mountain on a bike. So we cycled up these mountains over the Pyrenees. And when you get to the top of the mountain, firstly, you take a few selfies by the, the signs to show you've done it. And then you look and see the view of where you've just come from. And... And as I look back, you see these amazing vistas of mountain passes. The view at moments was breathtaking. And as I saw all the hairpin bends down the mountain that I'd cycled up, it made me realize how amazing it was what we were able to do, cycling up this, this mountain. But when I was riding those hairpins at four miles an hour, I didn't quite feel the same. I got stuck in close to the detail of just trying to pedal my bike up the hill. The pain of cycling. The heat, it was 36 degrees. We were like trying to take water on. Just trying to get through the next kilometre. And up these mountains, they have kilometre signs. Like 20, 19, 18. And you get stuck in that moment. But when you get to the top, and look back 
and you see what's happened and what, what you've achieved, it changes your whole perspective. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to zoom out and speed through a big story of God's mission through the Bible um, to help us to understand that it really is a great commission. Because we do get caught up in detail, don't we? I do. Maybe it's just me. But we get caught up in the, in the grit of day-to-day life and lose sight of what God's doing. Even with our vision of thousands, hundreds, and tens, that's what it's all about. But actually, that's not what it's all about. It's about God's big picture. We can see that the Bible is full of amazing stories, but ultimately it's about his mission for mankind. So, in Luke chapter 2, verses um, 5 to 7, Jesus gives his disciples some teaching which would forever shape how they viewed the scriptures. He says this, Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures he told them. This is what is written, The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead, and on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So here, Jesus tells his followers that the whole Bible is written about two things. Firstly, that Christ would suffer and on the third day rise. And in other words, the whole Bible is about Jesus and God's plan to save the world through his death and resurrection. Every theme, character and story points towards or foreshadows and prepares the way for this core truth. It's about Jesus and restoration of people to him. And friends, it's really such a, a blessing to be in churches that get this, that the Bible's about Jesus, that it, he is the one that the Old Testament talks about who's going to be coming. And I, I, I say that because it's not always the case. And so it is a real blessing that we get this and we'll often hear it say in some form or another that every road in Scripture leads to Jesus. Everything leads to him and his glory and his kingdom and his power and his reign. But Jesus says that the whole Bible is not written just about one thing, but two. So look again, it's written that the Christ should suffer and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So in other words, there are two centers to scripture, the Messiah, Jesus, and the mission. And whilst we often say that every passage points to Jesus, do we also read every passage as if it points to God's worldwide mission to see people being part of his family and knowing him a part of his kingdom. Jesus, I think here in Luke, encourages us that we should think big picture in that way. So friends, it's key for us to understand that global mission isn't just something that Jesus invents in Matthew 28, when he says, therefore go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded. It doesn't start there. It doesn't start when he's about to leave earth, but it's written large throughout the Bible from the very, very beginning. It's been there the whole time. So let's have a look at that. The Bible starts with God on a mission. He's not a transcendent being that just is. But he's active and has purposes at the beginning of time. And this mission at the start is to create, to bring order, to sustain creation, which is good to him. He made it. You know, when God made the world, he said, it is good. He made mankind and it was very good. 
But the God of the universe, who is utterly complete in himself as the Trinity, wants a people amongst whom he can dwell. He wants a people who will worship him and honour him. And who will fulfil his purposes. And so as part of this divine mission, he creates humanity. The first humans, Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve are created to be active and purposeful and missional just like God because it says they're God's image bearers he created us in his image we're like him so if God is active and purposeful and has plans and purposes it would make sense that that's what he's called us up into and called us up to as well he calls us to care for and cultivate the earth it's something we do but more he says we're also to fill it with more people in his image, more people like him. That's what we're to do. Go forth and multiply. Make others like you. So in short, mankind, Adam and Eve, were called to extend the order and goodness of God's garden to the whole earth and to be on a mission, serving him. Which maybe tells us something new. You see, humanity, mankind, had a mission before the fall. Before sin entered the world, we still had a purpose to fulfill for God. It's not that we get it wrong and God thinks, right, there's a new mission. It was before that happened. God's always had a purpose. It precedes sin. And it indeed tells us that salvation is far greater than reuniting man and God, though that's central and really important. But it's about restoring us to our place as those who care and cultivate God's world, who see others come to know him, to see others part of the family. But as we say, there was a problem. And the problem somehow was the people God chose to work with him, (laughs) us, mankind. Because we see, as we go through the story, humanity quickly abdicate from their God-given mission. Instead of living flourishing lives as co-workers with God, like we see in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, which says, for we are fellow workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Mankind choose to treat themselves as God and do life their own way. That's really what sin is, is doing it your own way, living apart from the one who created us. Yet this plan of doing things their own way was doomed to fail. Because as we've seen, humanity was created for a purpose, a purpose to see God's mission fulfilled and to do do something with our own lives wouldn't lead to freedom but actually self-destruction. So we move on, Genesis 3 to 11, we see Adam and Eve's tragic, that's always a hard word to say, tragic, tragic choice works out in the destruction of every area of human lives. Individuals are separated from God and barred from his presence. Relationships are destroyed. Marriages are plagued with subordination and blame shifting. Families are ruined by envy and murder. Communities are divided and all creation is affected too. Work becomes toil and life becomes subjected to death and decay. That's the result of us trying to do it our own way. And so with this catastrophic first act of scripture, the rest of the Bible becomes the story of God's mission to set right his co-workers in order to set right the whole of creation. See, it's there from the beginning. So, seeing as mankind sinned and mucked up and caused all this problem, what is God's plan to achieve his mission? 
The answer, if you think about it, is totally baffling. To save his messy, disobedient, self-destructive human race, God chooses as his mission partner humans again. Maybe this is the way that God has chosen that he'll work and will do it no other way. And we see specifically he calls a man called Abraham. In Genesis 12, verse 2, 1 to 3, it says, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So God is going to bless him massively with a new homeland, a family the size of a nation and a great name. But what's this for? It's so that all peoples on earth will receive God's blessing. He calls mission partners, us, mankind, so that all other nations and peoples receive God's blessings. So that through you and your nation, all the nations of the earth will be blessed too. Abraham and his family become a family on a mission. They have a purpose to fulfill God's mission. But they move from a family to a nation. And as you read through on through the Old Testament, Abraham's family grow to become that great nation known as the nation of Israel. But they're still a nation with a mission. After saving them out of slavery in Egypt, God says to the people he's forming, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Exodus 19. Now we might sometimes be tempted to conclude that God doesn't really care about the whole earth, but just for a special kingdom of priests and this special nation. But let's ask ourselves, what do priests do? Primarily, they p- connect people with God. That's, that's what they did through the Old Testament, throughout history. Even today in the church and in other churches, priests are there as a, a go-between between people and God. So God's plan was for his people always to be those who drew people to him. The reason God showed a special love to this nation was that they might be this world priest, as it were, a people that would draw people to so they could meet the true God, not just the God of Israel, but the God of the whole world. And we don't need to downplay passages which talk about God's particular unique love for his people. There are loads in the prophets. But we do need to realize that this particular love has a wider global purpose behind it. It's not just a small nation in the Middle East. It's something that would spread around the world. It's a greater, wider, global purpose behind it. So Israel was born, sorry, was a nation on mission. And if you look at their national life, you can see that mission was or should have been behind everything they did. Why did they have a God-given law to follow? So that all peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. Why did they have a temple to worship the Lord at? So that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your own people Israel, and may know that this house I have built bears your name. See, mission, as we look through the big picture of the Bible, has always been essential to the people of God. It's not something that's been invented in the 20th century. It's something that goes through. And we see glimpses of mission. We see glimpses of mission throughout the story of Israel. Read the story of Exodus you'll find not only the Israelites, but also a mixed multitude travel up from Egypt. We, we watch the Prince of Egypt and you think, oh, the Israelites are going out singing their songs. But there's other peoples, other nations, multitudes with them. 
leaving slavery and becoming free. During the conquest of the promised land, we meet a Canaanite woman named Rahab who confesses faith in Israel's God and along with her family joins the nation. And it may have been that this was a regular part as Israel spread out and grew that people from those cities and towns joined in and honoured God as king, the true king and the true God. Moreover, during the high point of Solomon's reign, we meet the queen of Sheba travelling to Israel to hear the king's surpassing wisdom. And who could forget the story of Jonah, which is all about a whale, but actually is all about a city of Assyrians who were saved to worship God as the true God. You see, all the way through, this mission of bringing people into God's kingdom is happening. But we do see only glimpses. The universal vision embedded into God's call to Abraham was never fulfilled. At no point in the Old Testament do we see all peoples on the earth being blessed through hearing about Israel's God. In fact, often the opposite happens. Israel end up falling into the same snare that trapped Adam and Eve. Rather than flourishing in their roles as God's co-workers and priests to the earth, they choose to follow their own way, as is lamented in the prophets. There's so many passages we could quote, but this one from Amos 2 says, This is what the Lord said, For three sins of Judah, even for four, I will not relent, because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his decrees, because they have been led astray by false gods, the gods of their ancestors followed. I will send fire on Judah that will consume the fortress of Jerusalem. And so, quite depressingly, Israel end up in the same place as Adam and Eve did all those years ago. Exiled from their home, they were sent out from the garden. Israel had been exiled from their home and separated from God's land. But there was hope. There was hope that this wouldn't always be the case. The prophets foresaw a day when at last many peoples and the inhabitants of many cities will yet come and the inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I myself am going and many people and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty and to entreat him. And this would be because a servant would come who would both be struck for their transgressions to heal them and then lead them to fulfill their calling to be a blessings to the nation. So we see the Old Testament. Again, when you read the whole Bible in a big chunk quite quickly, you see the story from a zoomed out point of view. And actually, they're lovely Bible stories, wonderful Bible stories, but it's a little, but the Old Testament, can I say this? It's going to be recorded, isn't it? It's a little bit depressing how many times God gives them a chance and they muck it up. I, you can imagine, this is like, God's got, come on guys, we've, I've given you another chance. This is what I've called you to do. And he's no, built another idol to something else and we'll give you another chance. And so year after year of, of mankind, caught up in God's mission and then thinking, eh, do it our own way. We'll write our own rules. We'll write our own additions to the book and we'll do it our way. The amazing thing is God never gives up on us because he's got a mission and a plan and a purpose that he will fulfill. He's going to fulfill this great commission, this great mission of his, um, and he's still caught us up in on it. 
So God gave humanity a mission to rule over the earth, but they abdicated and cut themselves off from God. God then created a family through whom he would reach out to um, his fallen race, but they went the same way. And so how will God remedy this? Of course, it's by sending another human. Or rather, it's by becoming a human himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And throughout Jesus' life, we see him fulfilling the task that Israel was called to do, to bring the light of God to the nations. God has a purpose and a mission which he's about. We see him healing a centurion servant. We see him welcoming and ministering to a Samaritan woman and commending the faith of a Canaanite woman. Indeed, Mark's gospel ends poignantly with a Roman centurion concluding from all he'd seen that truly this man was the son of God. Whereas before the nations were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, as Paul wrote to the Ephesians. Jesus has, the one who it was all about in the Old Testament, the one who it all pointed to, comes and he's the one who makes it right. He's the one who breaks down the walls of hostility. He's the one who leads us again afresh into the new things of being his people amongst who God dwells, who he will use to see the nations reached for his glory. So Jesus is the one who fulfilled Israel's mission to the nations in himself. But he doesn't only do this. God didn't come down to earth in Jesus to simply do man's job for us. He came to restore us so that we could do it with him. <laughs> And throughout, throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus creating a new people of God around himself. And then he sends them out to carry on what he has begun to fulfill. And friends, this is what Matthew 28 is about. It's about having reconstituted the people of God, he then recommissions them with the same mission that Israel and Adam and Eve and Abraham had to fill the world with humans living in the image of God. Those who know him as their Lord and Saviour. Those who know him as their King. In Peter's words, which connect the church to the whole of God's story that we've been looking at, we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. The church exists to continue God's mission of connecting people back to himself so that they can be restored to their central purpose of cultivating and ruling over God's good earth. That's what we're caught up in, friends. That's why Paul writes, the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of church birth right up until the present time. And Revelation finishes with a long saga of history with these words, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. That is the mission of God 
the mission that God calls us into. I think it's a pretty great commission, if you ask me. But it's so easy to forget that when we live in life, zoomed in to the day-to-day, um, trying to, sometimes trying to get through the next day, trying to get through the next week, not knowing how the next year is going to pan out. And we focus in. We focus in on what's going on now and forget that we're caught up in this great story that God has for us. And that's what we are looking at to continue as long as we see thousands of lives transformed through hundreds of churches in tens of nations. You see, the, the thousands of lives, to me, is what it's really about. It's, it's my family that don't know Jesus coming to meet him. It's the people who live in the town which I live in, somehow through me coming to connect with their creator God who loves them and who wants them to know him like he already knows them. It's about doing that day by day. And as part of this family commission, all that we're looking to do with this grand vision statement is to continue to do what God's called us to from the beginning of time. This isn't anything new. This isn't anything um, spectacular in some ways. It's just being obedient to the Great Commission to see people's lives transformed. And interestingly, we see in the New Testament that the way that primarily God does that is through people, through communities of believers, people like you and me being all we can be. And the fact that we gather together in our towns in things that we call churches is the, is the way that we do that. We see churches formed in town after town after city after village and people who believe in this vision, people who believe in Jesus as their saviour, being that light into a world that's dark. That's what we're about, friends. Can you imagine, can you imagine what the story might look like if someone was writing about it in a hundred years? Maybe I'm just a dreamer. But we read all these stories through the Bible. We see all the exploits of the apostles and the stuff going on in the New Testament. We, th- we look through church history and see all the ups and downs. But I long to see the day when even in Ascot, people say there was a church there that loved their community and reached out to people. That they might say of this group of people we call commission, wow, they made a difference where they were. They saw people's lives change. They saw people coming from darkness into light. They saw people getting set free from addictions and and strongholds and, and, and past hurts and coming free from this and being set into his family so that they would know him, so that they would be with him for eternity rather than separated from him for eternity. Can you just imagine, maybe even picture your own town right now. Can you imagine what our churches and villages would look like as we see this mission fulfilled, one life at a time. Can you imagine the impact this will have on our families and our communities and our schools and our workplaces as people's lives become all they can be and all that they were created for? That is what God's mission is about. That's what the Great Commission is about. It's about people seeing Jesus as their king and being part of his family. Can you believe, can you imagine what our story will be as we join into God's stories? We play our part in God's great plan for this world. Playing our little part. And it doesn't have to be grand. See, for me, a thousand lives seems quite big. Thousands of lives transformed in Ascot. 
in a little, in a little town in Berkshire. That seems quite daunting. But actually, it can be the conversation with this chap who I cycled across the Pyrenees with about what I do as a church leader, saying, well, this is what, this is what we're doing. And for 20 minutes having conversations about, really, what do you believe? Wow, I didn't understand that, never knew that. I can be someone who has an impact on one life. And then I look across this room with 40 people, maybe 50 people, and we can, you can have a part to play in one person's life. And then you multiply that across this site to just under 4,000 people, including our children. Do you know, our children are the best. Li- my, my, my son, Joseph, he's much better at telling people about Jesus than I am. <laughs> he just invites them to stuff. Come to our kids' club. Come, we've, we, 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 meet, we meet at church on a Sunday. We've got a great youth kids' work. Come and come. Like, and, they cut, and then they come with their families like, Oh, I'm supposed to be inviting them. But one life at a time, and we can encourage our children to be part of this great mission as well. It really is a great commission, and it's, it's not just part, um, something to be part of. It's something to be excited about. It's something that I hope stirs my thinking and my life day by day, that I'm, I'm part of God's mission. And I hope that as we finish this morning, that it's something that you think as you leave, actually, I'm, I'm excited to be part of God's mission. I'm excited to be in what he's called for us to do. I'm excited that he has a part for me to play in this great mission to see lives changed, to see nations reached, nations in our own towns, nations across the world. And I, I, as I was just praying this morning, I really felt that just understanding the wonder of this comes to play in day-to-day life. And I know I can be guilty of just getting busy and just trying to get through the day, or get the kids to school and all of that, or go and work and do things. And, and day-to-day life can just come in and busy, it, busy itself. And, and then sometimes day-to-day life can become our idol or our God, just like the Israelites look to other things. And that takes away the edge of our mission and of what we're called to do. There are days, friends, that are tough. There are days where we might not even feel like getting up. There are stresses of lives. But I think if we understand the wonder of this great commission, of this great mission of God, of this purpose for us, and live with that, it it can change how we even wake each day it can change our perspective on what has got what god has got for us and the fact that god even with all our mistakes all our failures i'm just thinking about mine um but we look through history and all humans failures the fact that he is consistently committed to working through us says something about this wonderful king He's committed to using you and me to reach the nations of the world with this message of hope, of grace, of love, of kindness, of justice, of compassion. And that fills me with great confidence um, because if he was really looking at my CV, he'd be thinking, no job for you, Dave. But he doesn't. He says, you're, 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 you're my son. You're my daughter. You're part of the family. 
and you're in. You're part of the team. Let's go together to do this. How cool is it that we get to be part of God's mission to see people's eternities changed forever? I just think that's cool. Hence why the, me- the seminar is called It Really Is a Great Commission with an exclamation mark. It's not a great commission with your hand behind your back thinking, oh, we've got to do this. It's something to get excited about. Because if in a year's time we come back here and some of us have got stories to tell, I bet there are people in this room who've got stories to tell of even this year of people they've spoken to who've come to know Jesus. That is the thing that drives everything we do because we want to see people come to know this. The wonder of this fills us. It drives us. It enables us to play our part. And we've all got a story to tell in this great commission. So that's really all I wanted to say as we encourage. But I'd love us to, um, to pray. Um, I think if we, if we get this as a family of churches, as it's shared from the front, that we understand and capture the wonder of what God's called us to, to see lives changed through churches across the world, that we'll see it happen as we go for it, as, we're, but as, we, as we have that. Um, and I, d- I don't know, something just popped into my head, I'm going to try it. Stop recording now. Um,